Hey everybody, this is Ian Reed Twist, the pastor at Holy Cross Episcopal Church in Novi, Michigan. And today's sermon was preached on August 4th, 2019. The passage that the sermon is based on is Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verses 2 and verses 12 through 14 and chapter 2 verses 18 through 23. Sometimes the lectionary just loves to slice stuff up and that was the case on this day. As usual, I will read the reading from Ecclesiastes first and then we will get on to the sermon. A reading from Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I, the teacher, when king over Israel and Jerusalem, applied my mind to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to human beings to be busy with. I saw all the deeds that are done under the sun, and see, all is vanity and a chasing after wind. I hated all my toil in which I had toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to those who come after me. And who knows whether they will be wise or foolish, yet they will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned and gave my heart up to despair concerning all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes one who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave all to be enjoyed by another who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What do mortals get from all the toil and strain with which they toil under the sun? For all their days are full of pain, and their work is a vexation. Even at night their minds do not rest. This also is vanity. A couple weeks ago, I had uh, coffee with a friend who lives in the Novi area. When she arrived, she told me that she was a bit discombobulated because there had been a standoff at a neighbor's house since the previous evening. Her block had become a nightmare of sharpshooters, flak-jacketed SWAT teams, bullhorns, sirens, cameras, news vans. People were advised to stay in their homes. The neighbor had barricaded himself into his house, luckily without his wife or kids, and was threatening his own life. My friend knew this family. They'd lived near each other for a couple of decades, and their kids had grown up together. So she and I sat at our cafe table in the morning breeze and prayed for the man and his loved ones. We prayed that God's healing would work in his life, that God's peace would rest in the hearts of those who cared for him and were worried about him, that God's wisdom would guide his actions and the actions of the first responders. We prayed for the safety of all. The next day, my friend sent me a link to a news article reporting that her neighbor had died by suicide later that afternoon. Perhaps you saw the story in the media as well. Of 
continued to think about that man, the abyss into which he was peering, the pain that must have been chewing in him, and the pain he has now discharged into the world, both immense and both unimaginable. The despair he had given his heart up to. And of course I'm projecting, I know nothing about him, but really who among us has never entertained the notion that he acted on? Who hasn't been brushed by dark, suggestive feathers as the understanding dawns that all is vanity and a chasing after wind? All is vanity and a chasing after wind. This is, of course, the refrain used many times by the author of Ecclesiastes, also called Kohelet, as he addresses that same realization in today's Old Testament reading. It's one of the things I've always loved about this most existentialist of biblical books, variously called cynical, world-weary, even nihilistic. Here is a text that squarely faces into the reality that we live and toil and as far as we can know for sure, what we get is days full of pain, the vexation of work, and the dubious privilege of leaving all we have accumulated to people who come after us and may well spend it foolishly. Permanence is a fiction. Everything is ephemeral. If life is merely an absurd interval between infinite nothings, Ecclesiastes refuses to make up compensatory tales to soften this possibility. It really tries to set all of our beliefs aside and look at what we can absolutely know through our senses. You may not get what you like from its conclusions, but what you get will hold. And Ecclesiastes comes away from its crisis of meaning with a very different conclusion from that of my friend's neighbor. Even though Koheleth says that he gave his heart up to despair, he finally affirms a little later in the book that nonetheless, it is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in their toil. Wait, that, that's it? That's the so-called wisdom in this book of wisdom? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die? Well, actually, yes. But I think it's wiser than it may at first sound. Ecclesiastes gazes very hard at what is, in a concrete, verifiable sense. Life has no inherent meaning. We are finite. But unlike my friend's neighbor, the author finds a kind of liberation in this absurdity. It's kind of like the only way to be freed from the trap is to recognize that you cannot be freed from the trap. Might as well embrace what there is to embrace. 
He concludes, since we have to toil to live, might as well take pleasure in the toil. Since we have to eat and drink, might as well enjoy the eating and drinking. All of which, to my mind, is a way of saying, all you really have is the present. So occupy the present. Have the serenity to accept the things you cannot change. Be here now, for all is vanity and a chasing after wind. It's interesting, this wisdom about being in the present moment has also come into our culture via Eastern thought, more palatably to some since a prophet has no honor in the prophet's own country. And it has recently become folded into various kinds of psychotherapies. I've been learning about this in my social work program. We teach presence as a way of combating both anxiety, which is about living in the future, and depression, which involves ruminating too much about the past. We teach mindfulness to help people overcome the effects of traumatic stress and to regulate their emotional reactivity. And the most basic tool for accessing the present moment is to focus on breathing. Notice the sensations of the air passing in and out of your lungs, we might coach people. Count your breath slowly, we might say. Christian tradition, too, offers a meditative practice called breath prayer in which the person repeats the phrase of a simple prayer in time with each inhalation and exhalation. And in light of this, I can't help but note that the Hebrew word translated as vanity, hebel, actually means breath or vapor. Likewise, the Hebrew word for wind, ruach, also means breath or spirit. So on one life, on one level, life is indeed a pointless exercise for all is vanity and a chasing after wind. And on another level, the key to living well is to recognize and embrace that all is breath and a chasing after breath. And there's one other thing that Ecclesiastes affirms in the face of life's absurdity. Two are better than one, it announces in chapter four. For if they fall, one will lift up the other. But woe to one who's alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm? In other words, as insubstantial as our existence may be, we do not exist in a vacuum. We exist in community. We exist in relationship. What we do ripples out into the lives of others. And that too imbues our beingness with purpose. Now I don't mention this point or anything I'm saying today to moralize about my friend's neighbor or to in any way chastise anyone 
who may experience such a tsunami of suffering and such a closing down of options that they feel tempted to end their lives. I mention it to encourage a different choice. Because if we could clearly see how deeply we are needed to lift one another up and to keep one another warm, then it's hard to believe that we would not choose to remain present to one another as long as we possibly could. As for my friend, I checked in with her in the aftermath of the 22-hour ordeal that her neighborhood had been through. She acknowledged that she was perhaps a little shell-shocked, her words. However, she said, I woke up today full of gratitude for my family, my faith, and my life. Amen. Okay, everybody. Well, thanks for listening to this week's sermon. And if you want more information about me or the church, you can always go to our website, Holy Cross Novi, that's N-O-V-I dot org. And in the meantime, have a blessed week, and you can find more sermons as we publish them in the same place you found this one. Take care. <laughs>